The Pro Video Coalition podcast is brought to you by FilmTools.com. Since 1996, FilmTools has been Hollywood's one-stop shop for all things production. No matter your filmmaking needs, FilmTools has you covered when you need gear for your next shoot. This week, FilmTools is offering Pro Video Coalition podcast listeners 5% off qualifying purchases when shopping on FilmTools.com. All you have to do is enter code PVCPOD at checkout. That's P-V-C-P-O-D at checkout to get 5% off your purchases on FilmTools.com. So whether you need a new stinger, a cart, or a Lassie hard drive, make sure to head over to FilmTools.com and use code PVCPOD at checkout to get 5% off your next equipment purchases. Welcome, everyone. This is the uh, PVC Pro Video Coalition News Podcast. This is the first one that we've done, kind of piggybacking on the success Film Tools has had with their recent podcasts. And the idea here is a little bit of news chat about what's been going on over the last week or two. We may have times when we talk about some articles. We chat with authors about some of their content, some of the toys they may have been playing with, and just kind of general film video, post-production stuff in general. Who knows what we may end up chatting about. Just depends on what's been happening over the last week or two or three or four or something like that. Got Damien here here from uh, Moviola and and a lot of other famous things, right? (laughs) That's right, yeah. And uh, Paul as well. Paul, you're uh, you've been helping out a lot on the uh, on the film tools side of things, producing all those podcasts with uh, the art of the cut, as well as a lot of the um, sort of roundtable discussions you guys have been having. That's film right. Tools, right? Yes, I help Avery with that stuff. And then I, I got just going to jump in because uh, Paul doesn't like to talk about himself, but he he is actually a bit of a legend uh, in the recording industry. He's uh, he's recorded a lot of huge artists like Sting, and uh, can you just just rattle off a couple of names, just because we're name dropping, Paul. Oh, Frank Sinatra, Sting, Tori Amos, Elton John, Michael Jackson, Luis Miguel, Mana. Yeah, it's I've it's never heard crazy. Of any of them. Is that no, on no, Spotify? No, <laughs> they, eventually we'll get wow. to Spotify. <laughs> or, or Amazon, Music, SoundCloud, quite possibly. Yes. So I think the biggest thing that happened last week was, I don't want to call it the avid media composer outage because it really wasn't avid's fault, but it sort of uh, percolated as being an avid thing at the very beginning. But it was this whole uh, system reboot issues or I guess non-reboot issues that started popping up, I guess mainly in Hollywood at first, but it wasn't really Hollywood specific. I guess potentially the time zone may have kind of manifested itself there with lots of machines unable to start up at kind of at the same time or over the course of a couple of hours. Now, Damien, you were um, you were out, you are in the L.A. area, I do believe, So, and you're also connected more with Moviola because they are out there, one of our sister companies who rents lots of Avid systems. What would you, uh, do you, you feel any craziness going on during this whole thing? Well, actually... Paul Paul was the one who was really stuck in the in the thick of that, and we actually we're actually going to have a kind of a little uh, talk about Moviola's whole experience with that. But uh, Paul, you 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 were telling me that it was actually earlier than most people were reporting when the first system Fri- started. Friday, down, we right? probably had four systems go down 
And then everybody went home and we replaced those systems. Everything worked fine. Everybody was happy. And then Monday morning, we started getting those calls. Ten systems down here, seven here, six here. And then throughout the day, more and more and more. I, so you just saw it on that Friday that, that it was your typical just a couple bad, of machines. Just a bad day. That's right. Out. And none of, them had the, none of them had any weird symptoms. We didn't really realize what it was until well into the second day. Um, we didn't, I, I think I told you, Damien, when it first started happening, we weren't sure it was just us. We weren't sure of anything. We just know that we had clients that we needed to get up and running because, you know, in the TV world, those schedules are brutal. So we got them running, and then the calls started coming in more and more, and it became all hands on deck. All of the texts went out. Um, some of our people were making hard drives that needed to be sent. We'd curry those things all around, and by the end of the night, by the, by the end of the afternoon on the second day, we had done close to 100 systems. Well, let's let's pause a second and put some dates to this because the big day when the uh, shirt hit the fan. Should, can I cuss on this podcast? I don't that, know. That I would be the twenty third. I, I, I cuss a lot. <laughs> we won't do that. Yeah, 20, that was Monday the twenty third. Yeah, that was the twenty third. <laughs> the the stuff that happened earlier was on the twentieth. That was the Friday twentieth. Now the uh, the Variety magazine published their article pointing fingers at Avid on the uh, Tuesday the twenty fourth I think because that that's when I first got word of it and posted uh, and kind of followed along throughout the day on PVC trying to update what was going on and I think we have to credit the Avid editors of Facebook group as much as I don't want to credit anything to Facebook because that was a place where the information really, uh, the inf good information really came out and people discussed what was going on and they worked hard to really, to really help each other. That was on the 24th. But one thing I did notice in that thread as I was reading it that morning was there were people mentioning, oh, we, you know, this, something similar ha happened to us over the weekend. So I think, yeah, you're right. It was, it was before, several days before the you know the shit hit the fan on the twenty fourth when all that when all that all that went down. Correct. And again, everybody yeah. for the first part of the day on Monday, everybody didn't really communicate. Everybody thought it was just them, and we're trying to figure out: did we do something wrong with an image? Is there something that was time stamped where it just shut down at that point? And then later on in the afternoon, we started getting calls and we started getting texts and the ACSR, you know, the Avid. Um, certified representatives um, all got together and we're trying to figure it out. And, and as well as Avid, Avid was very helpful and, and right, oh, yeah. right in the middle of it, which was, you know, I'm kind of proud of them because it wasn't their problem, but they did a really good job keeping everybody informed of what was going on well, and what needed to be done. They really did. And I think that the poor, I don't want to say poor Avid, because you're right, they did a fantastic job, but in a sense, poor Avid, because they got sort of scapegoated, and I think it was that, that variety piece that lots of uh, publications, websites, whatever, picked up and immediately pointed fingers that this was an, was an Avid problem. And that's what, when I posted our, our piece on PVC, I, tr I tried not to do that and tried to dig through that really good uh, Facebook thread, trying to glean a little bit more information and and I just didn't want to say like, oh, this is Avid's fault because it just seemed odd that Avid would would have been called. And I don't know tech enough to really know what you know my whatever from a whatever. But it was it just felt 
odd that it would be a, a, an avid problem. You know, people were pointing to iLock as the, um, you know, the um, iLock is like the dongle, uh, like security system that some of the lots of software uses. And even when you install Media Composer with no Pro Tools and no plugins or whatever, you still have, I think, some kind of iLock mechanism under the hood, do yeah. you not? Yes, you do. And you also have it for things like Isotope which a lot of people okay. use on Media Composer. Even if they don't use Pro Tools, they'll still use some of the plugins, and those yeah. are on an iLock, whereas the regular, th regular Avid's on a dongle. But it, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't iLock. But let's get to what the cause in a second. I think I want to go back a second to, you're right that Avid really jumped on it and worked hard trying to figure it out, partly, I'm sure, because they saw this people blaming them. But the other reason I think that I'm sure they did is because this is their customers, and their customers couldn't, couldn't work. So they were obviously like all over it, trying to figure out figure out the uh, problem. And it wasn't a Mac, you know, the Mac Pros, which was also said, "Oh, it's the, it's the trash can Mac Pros was the problem." And obviously that was incorrect as it, well. It was and, incorrect. Um, yes. I think if some of these, you know, and publications just want to publish first, they want to publish the most sensational information that they can, which is what, you know, yeah. I think a couple of them did without doing their due dil due diligence. Which, you know, again, I felt bad for Avid because and, they, and they everyone really everyone loves stuck. to make. Everyone loves to make fun of, you know, whichever, you know, sensationalized that company oh, yeah. doing something stupid. I, and, and it has happened. I remember just uh, about a year ago, Oculus bricked every single Oculus Rift on the planet for about 24 hours because their, uh, one of their uh, security certificates had expired. And uh, so those things do happen. Yeah. Um, and nobody noticed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, one guy was doing a live demo in front of like a thousand people and oh, couldn't all right. do anything because the Rift was dead. But one guy, uh, we'll talk about Oculus in a second because they had a little bit but, of news too. Yeah, um, but but the thing with the Avid is that we know, you know movie and TV deadlines are so crazy that it can be catastrophic. You know, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, you and you had um, some. I, I wasn't affected personally because. Um, the the problem, and I'll, we'll let Paul explain that in a second. Didn't affect, you know, me and some single users who did, who didn't do some real deep sort of um, system changes to work with certain bits of hardware. But it was the movios of the world. The I don't want to name off other um, rental systems or other big post houses because they may have not had problems. But it was some of those real big installs where you gotta you gotta really maintain lots of systems. That that was the issue. Paul, do you want to explain kind of what? In a nutshell, what it was and what the fix Well, it turns out it was. was this thing called Google Keystone Updater, and they had a problem with it that literally um, it would make one of the invisible files, the VAR file, make it visible. So as soon as you saw that, the thing was don't shut down. As soon as you do, it goes into a lock where it just won't, a boot-up lock. It just won't let it go past the boot screen. And very frustrating. If, if you don't know it's everybody... You know, there's not news around that that's happening. If you did that mm -hmm. on Wednesday morning, you'd, you'd have seen the news and go, oh, okay, it's my turn. But on Monday morning, and you're hit, trying to hit your deadlines, it was not a happy, not a happy crowd. Um, and sure. then, again, we try to nail it down. Is it just Mac Pros? Is it Westmere's? Is it? And it was across the board, as long as it wasn't brand new software. If you use the brand new OS, you wouldn't have this problem. If you had the SIP um, enabled, you wouldn't have had the SIP, problem. SIP stands for? It stands for System Integrity Protection. Protection. And the thing about that is, um, that's all well and fine, and, and 
best practices to have it enabled. But there's a lot of software and there's a lot of hardware, especially video cards, that you cannot use that on. It disables the video card. And I think I think specifically to actually be able to use any modern NVIDIA cards, you have to have SIP disabled, don't you? Is that right? Yes. And and there's there's also some systems where there is no SIP. It just it's not on the in the some of those systems. Well, we know that Media Composer um, installs or big facilities are notorious for being behind in their both their systems as well as their their latest Media Composer versions. Not that that would have helped this issue, but when you stay far back in OSs and far back in software versions, you're susceptible sometimes to problems that may have been fixed. That is 100% correct, but there's reasons that some people want to go way back. It's not the suppliers. The suppliers would rather be on the most up-to-date all the time. But for a while, um, ScriptSync wasn't available in in some of the eights. So we had people on 7 that wanted to keep on 7 because of that ScriptSync. It became very important. And then when that became available back in the 12s, uh, they'd switch then. But we had a lot of people for a lot of reasons that would want to be on a certain, you know, if you have something that's working and you're popping out shows, keep it working until you need to be forced to change. Why change? It's so. And there's, and there's certainly some that I don't want to say they're too cheap to upgrade, but upgrading can cost money. But I always go when people say, why change? It's well, especially in the case of Avid, you've got some amazing new features that have come along in the last versions but that's a whole that could be a whole other podcast topic there is uh and a lot of times look if you and not upgrade if editors are comfortable on one thing why why would you want them to change i mean if they're doing great stuff why want them to change until there is a feature that makes it worthwhile changing Mm -hmm, for sure it's really customer driven i mean we we would give them anything they want so to wrap this topic up is it safe to blame google is they the ones to blame for sure Look, it was their problem, but they owned up to it right away. So I don't blame Google. I mean, something bad happened. We fixed it. We got by it. Everybody's back on schedule. I don't think any data was breached. I don't think anything, well, people lost maybe half a day, which is terrible, but nothing was lost. It's not like we had a reload from camera uh, to start over again. So So it was terrible. Somewhere, maybe some reality show wasn't able to deliver on time and... I'm in the sh- end, is that so bad? <laughs> yes, we. Do. I kid. We fight to keep our clients on time. No, I know. Uh, people like people like TV. TV has big deadlines, so it does. And it, again, this whole thing, yes, it was a giant problem, but it kind of separated. Okay, who's who's got the best customer service? I mean, we had twelve techs out all night. Yeah. Some Some of the other smaller companies couldn't do that. They don't have twelve techs. They couldn't get to all the machines in a, in a small amount of time. So what we did, you know, management said, look, fix it at all costs. And again, as we're sending them out, we're not sure what the real cause is. We're getting them back working, and we don't know if it's going to happen again tomorrow morning. But just to get them back on schedule and working, it became very important to send. It was all hands on deck. And sure. I'm sure other and companies you- did the same, but I know a lot of them didn't. A lot of them yeah. just sent. And you, sent, you know sent, what? As a, from a customer standpoint... You only go through one of those crises to discover how valuable that is. I mean, I, I, I've been through two situations. One in the 90s when I was editing on a Media 100 and something went wrong with the system. And we had, I think they called a platinum support. And at two in the morning, I called and there was a guy there. He walked me through in five minutes what the problem was. And I was back up and running. Compare that to uh, a time when I had a studio with 
a bunch of nuke licenses. And it was, again, about 2 or 3 in the morning. And somehow the licenses, we, we'd paid for the licenses, but there was the server was still running on the temp licenses. No one had ever actually issued the final ones, and we hadn't noticed. And at 2 or 3 in the morning, all the licenses expired, or I guess uh, on the East Coast or whatever. And they were in the UK, so I couldn't even contact them. They were asleep um, or something. Anyway, I mean, it was outside of office hours. I can't remember all the details, but I just remember we were stuck. And by some miracle, I managed to wind the clock back on the server that was serving the licenses. And that was the only way I could get back up. But that's great. That was, I came really close to not delivering on that show just because I didn't have access to, uh, to support that I needed. Yes. Well, the way we so, look at it is anybody can buy this stuff. It's available to everybody. What separates you is how do you take care of it? How do you treat your customers? If they have a problem, is it your problem or do you ignore them or do you just you rush and make it make it all work? So the fact that we did that, I'm, I'm proud of what we did. I'm proud of the other companies that did the same and who didn't, well, you know, who knows? <laughs> totally, totally. All right, let's skip topics to this next one. Uh, Damien sent me a link to something called the Facebook Horizon video. <laughs> And yeah. I cannot unsee that. <laughs> and in fact, if you look at uh, the number of likes and dislikes of that video, it's it's pretty astronomical, the dislikes. Um, but it's it's amazing. Uh, Oculus had their big... No, it's not It's not amazing. The video is not amazing. <laughs> but explain it, though. I, I mean, I don't, I don't keep up much with the VR stuff that's yeah. going on. But, yeah. What well, the hell I, is that thing? Yeah, I, I have a... A love-hate relationship with VR because I, I actually developed for VR. I, I'm been developing animation tools for the animation industry using VR. So I'm a big believer in it as as a mechanism for developing content. Yeah. But if if you actually uh, check back right during the big bubble on VR, I wrote an article on PVC on uh, how I thought it was just doomed and in terms of a, an actual consumption mechanism uh you know and so oculus they had their big conference this year uh, th this last week and uh zuckerberg gave the the keynote and they they were launching a bunch of things one of them was facebook horizon which is this kind of the oasis you know the what's that movie called uh, uh the, you know ready player one ready player one you know that that kind of, in fact, it was funny. I saw one comment on the video on YouTube. Uh, some guy commented, "This is this is the Oasis, but with simple graphics and no legs." Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of true. Yeah, but the they're, legs thing. They're, they're trying to create a virtual universe that you go in and, and spend hours a day in. Uh, and we'll get to another bit later where they're also trying to to do AR and impose Facebook advertising on every surface on the planet through smart glass and anyway that's a whole other weird thing but what i think is fascinating is facebook has this 30 something female demographic and so they have this woman that is supposed to inspire i guess other 30 something women to go wow i could spend hours with a big black headset on my head but in the <laughs> ad she looks ridiculous and well, her husband anyone wearing these headsets look ridiculous <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the guy, her, uh, presumably her husband in the ad, is kind of looking like, okay, I've lost you to this VR headset, you know? Yeah. And um, 
and it's just comical because, like, you know, this is not a sexist comment, but just there's a reality that women do not want to wear something that's ruining their hair and makeup and for many hours a day and consume uh, information that way. Most men don't want to spend all that much time uh, with something on their heads. Does anybody no. really want that? As I'm watching that video, I'm thinking, who wants this? What's the, what's the target audience? Well, how much is an Oculus headset? So they have, um, so the original Oculus headset's around 300 bucks, and, but then you needed a supercomputer to run with it. So I have yeah. like a, I have a, you know, $15,000 workstation running my Oculus system. Not, mm. I mean, that's overkill, obviously, but for development, that's kind of where it's at. But Not um, the normal person won't have that. Right. But, you know, you need a modern graphics card, your GTX 980 or greater pretty much, and a fairly fast CPU. But they've come out with the Oculus Quest and the Oculus Go, which are uh, fully contained VR experiences. So the, the computer is actually in the headset. And those are really where they're pitching. And they're, they're what's called uh, inside-out tracking. So they, um, they don't need to have the cameras all over the place and so you, they're kind they're basically wireless um yeah it, although they actually just introduced something which uh, allows the quest to act like a rift and tethers it but that's that's another story um but yeah so they're still you know not insignificant they're around the 300 dollar price point and uh it's just it's an interesting thing because obviously facebook is all about social and they have to justify this whole segment of their company that uh, is a VR company by assuring their uh, stockholders, I guess, that, hey, look, this is all going to pay off because you're going to have all these Facebook people spending hours a day in VR. And it just mm -hmm. seems to be uh, a complete miss. In fact, what I found really interesting was uh, – the next day, the next keynote was given by John Carmack, who's the head of the uh, Oculus Group. He's the guy that originally developed Doom and Quake, and, mm -hmm. or he's a le the, he's a legend in yeah. that in that space. Not just the the VR space, but like three D first person exactly video games that you know that sort of style. Whether you're shooting or or walking around or whatever. Yeah. So he kind of in in a very veiled way, because obviously he has to toe the the party line, but he says, you know. If you read between the lines, basically what he was saying is these guys are trying to have me flog this as a social experience. But quite frankly, the thing I like about VR is being an introvert is that I can hide from the rest of the world and have my own yeah. experience. And and really, that's what VR does. I mean, uh, in fact, I've been in a few of the sort of social chat things and the first thing I want to do is mute my mic and hide. You know, I don't want to have to talk to some random stranger from halfway across the world. Uh, so I think it was a really fascinating kind of having those two keynotes juxtaposed. But I, um, I, I am a, like, you, you saw, what did you think of that ad? I mean, obviously I get a sense of what you thought, but it was pretty mind-blowing, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually, when it when it started playing, I kind of enjoyed the fact that it was a little bit. Uh, I don't. It's not wasn't irreverent, but like the the um, the woman who was the the main pitch person in there, like she was. I mean, she was kind of, you know, had a bit of an attitude, and it wasn't what I expected once it started playing, which kind of made me watch the whole thing. But it was still, besides the fact that people had no legs, 
Um, yeah. He was just, you just look absolutely ridiculous wearing those things and, and holding those two little pistol grip controller thingies. I mean, you just look absolutely ridiculous. They, they should sell this by, in my humble opinion, by only showing what you are going to be looking at through the, the, the device. You never see what it looks like to wear it. You never see how you control it. You only see what you're going to be seeing. And that is this got to be the selling point of something like that. This virtual world where you walk around without legs is stupid. You know, never going to, um, I don't think it's ever going to take off. But I look at a, I, I would never buy a $15,000 computer for this. But if I saw, and you know, I'm a And, and I should qualify. That's, just, that's, that, that isn't necessary, obviously, for this. We take about like yeah. the PlayStation has their, uh, they had their VR yep. thing that wasn't a big, wasn't a big hit. But you know, they're not cheap. You're not going to just yeah. easily drop down 300 bucks. But I look at disposable income that I have. What would make, you know, someone with disposable income buy something like this? I think is one, I love auto racing. A, a VR auto racing game that was really good, I would spend the money on that. Like, you know, first-person shooters that are really good, I'm surprised this hasn't really, really taken off in, in that space. But every time I've ever put one of these things on, it's painful to wear, it gives me a headache, and it just screws, kind of screws with the inner ear. And I, I think that's one of the biggest, uh, the biggest well, problems I, with it. Well, it. it depends. It's definitely gone a lot better. So I didn't know uh, when the last time you tried something like an Oculus. But... NAB last year. Okay. Well, then maybe that. Same here. <laughs> maybe. NAB last yeah, maybe, year. Maybe you are screwed. Um, yeah, well. I mean, I spend hours sometimes in these things as I'm, testing development and, and stuff like that so i and actually i do vr boxing as a workout now um so it's funny there are certain things that i do really appreciate in vr and interestingly enough i, I won't while i'm kind of mocking the whole facebook concept one of the most interesting things i've found was i i, I was working for a while with a developer in france and i hate video conferencing. I just, I hate the fact that the eye contact doesn't line up and it just, to me, it's a very frustrating experience typically. And I have family in Australia that I'm constantly talking with. And so I do a lot of it. We did, um, an interactive VR chat session and it actually added to, for me, a huge dimension that you can't get with, with uh, video conferencing, even though the other developer I'm talking with is a cartoon character. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we have eye contact and it was weird. The first time I did it, I, I kind of got paranoid, like, oh, I hope I'm, I'm too close to this guy and I might have bad breath today. <laughs> and and then, I, then I had to catch myself and go, no, 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 actually, uh, <laughs> I'm not in the same room. It's okay. But can't uh, you do that through FaceTime or Skype? It's not I mean, it's same. obviously not the same experience. No, but... what's interesting, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the additional kind of body language of, being in a, of seeing your arms move or... Uh, you know, there's other just benefits like you can draw in the air so you can kind of sketch things out next to each other. Uh, but I, I, I can't place my finger on it, but I definitely felt a stronger sense of presence, uh, you know, talking to the other person. And, and for whatever reason, even though it wasn't their real face, the fact that we made eye contact, whereas you pretty much never can make eye contact because the camera is always slightly above your eye line on a video conference, mm -hmm. uh, I actually found it a really much more useful experience. I, I found like I could communicate and understand a lot more in that experience than I ever could in a, on a video conference. So mm -hmm. anyway, that, that was interesting. I didn't Maybe you can start that. dating that way. 
please no. That would be disturbing. And but yeah, you married. You may be married. I'm, maybe I'm, you don't need to. I've been married for date. 20, 20, almost twenty three years. Oh. So oh, I forgot, I've forgotten what again. dating is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I mean, can we ever use the Oculus in in uh, post production or in in the, I guess in the po- in the in the uh, visualization world for like um, you know doing previs and stuff like that? It could be cool. But I, I'm not. You know, think about how to use that in in post production. I don't know if we could ever. Yeah, so I've been developing tools for actually animating, so actually moving the armatures on characters and things, and that that works so much better in VR than trying to do that on a two D computer screen. Um, but my my bigger issue is uh, post production for VR experiences for any kind of VR consumption. There's just no model there because first of all, the sheer mass of data to get a good VR experience to uh, a home just makes it very prohibitive for, for I mean, we, we have a hard time streaming 4K without totally uh, destroying it with compression, uh, let alone the, the massive amounts of data you need for a good VR experience to be able to look in all directions. Well, wait, and, but what about we're going to start streaming video games through, uh, you know, Google Stadia and, uh, and Xbox going to do the same where they're going to try to stream well, 120 yeah, second it, frames per second yeah, it's games? Very, it's very different, though, with games because you can do a lot more compression in that, you know, you can, you know, you can say, hey, this bullet is here and all you need to send is the, the XYZ location of the bullet and you know what kind of bullet is and the 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 client computer can host it that's on uh, one hand they're talking more about actual streaming but they can do a lot more compression with video game co- type content cuz it's more uh, more predictable more streamlined it's not like uh it's not the same as video and then the latency is so critical so for for me to send a message to a head end saying this is where my head currently is and then mm-hmm. to get the data back so you don't get that motion sickness that you're talking about, uh, it, it, it's almost impossible with VR. So Interesting. Yeah. Well, okay, let's wrap this Oculus topic up for yeah. a minute because I still think that we have been hearing the promise of VR for a long time now, and it still doesn't seem to have come to fruition. Um, I think maybe the idea that you can get a headset that doesn't have to be tethered, that's affordable, and you can just pop on really quickly is that always seemed to me to be maybe the kind of the holy grail of it because it would never reach mass critical mass without that. And is, is that what, is that what these new Oculuses are? They are. Yeah. So there are that? still, I mean, there's still big he- kind of not heavy, but clumsy things on your face. Uh, they, they, one of the other things they announced is hand tracking. So they're getting rid of the controllers, you know, in some circumstances. And so, uh, the system will actually track using machine learning, track your finger positions and gestures. So that's a big step forward. I agree with you. I think until we see VR headsets that are like sort of slightly larger wraparound sunglasses, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's all it's just going to be uh, early adoption is is going to be all you can really hope for. Yeah. You know those those techie adopters. Well, we um, could put our our phones into a cardboard box and shove them in front of our eyes, and that <laughs> yeah, that was either. that was exciting for about two minutes, and then you're yeah, like, exactly, right, it was fun. You watched that one YouTube clip, and everyone went, "Yeah, it's cool," and then uh, no one ever put put them on yeah. again. But yeah, my son got a Christmas present from his cousin that was uh, it's a book. Uh, actually, it's a series of books about you know dinosaurs and animals and all that, and you download the app and you you put the app in your cardboard. It's it's it was its own cardboard viewer, and then oh. you put it in there and you kind of go through the book and uh 
and was like, wow, this is cool when he opened it up. And out of the six animals, I think he did two of them. It was like, okay, this is this sucks, Dad. I was like, hey, man. It's way All too right. much work. Yeah. It was a lot of work. and just I mean, I think it was kind of cheaply done, but, um, you know, that was a fail. I did. There was there was one other thing that I thought was fascinating with the Oculus conference, and that was, as well as this internal Oasis like universe, there they have this idea. Well, I mean, not an idea. They're they're doing it where they're they're basically doing a an incredible mashup of all the photographs, all the geo information that uh, Facebook's got and uh, geo data, and mapping the entire world we live in so not just like a google maps where you kind of have an overhead view but actual meshed geometry of uh movie theaters shops stores houses and the idea is that you wear smart glasses and you look at the movie theater and you can actually see superimposed the movie times and everything but of course that's what they're pitching but of course we know what they want to do is put a gazillion contextual facebook ads all over reality and it's just, again, to me, another example of Facebook really not having a clue how much people don't want that experience. No. I tell you, it's, it's people who aren't living in the real world that are coming up with this stuff. That's It's like, hey, the, you know, they don't, the, uh, the tech billionaires or even millionaires or even 500,000 heirs aren't just going to the movies like normal people. Yeah, they're thinking. Wait, what can we do that makes the uh, no? You know, it's, I'm fine to use the Fandango app. That's that's perfectly good enough for me to be able to. I actually walked up to a theater the other day, bought a ticket at the window. You know, because there are times it's like, hey, I'm going to go to the movie. It starts at seven o'clock. I don't want to pay a three dollar, four dollar service charge to Fandango. You can still. And there was a line of people waiting to do the exact same thing. Did the you? Wait, you have children. How did you ever get to a movie theater? <laughs> Um, I think I may have told my wife I had to work late. I can't remember. No, I told <laughs> her. Sounds I right. I wanted to see. What did, I can't remember what I went to see. Uh, oh, it was a documentary. Um, but that really wanted to see it, so I just I had to had to plan it, man. Had to make time. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see what else went on last week. GoPro announced eight Hero Eight. Did, Hooray! Did, did he, did anybody? I mean, I guess it's a yearly thing, like iPhones. You just get a new GoPro every year. Is that kind of how it works now? I, I I'm curious what you guys think about the whole GoPro market. Like, it's got to be a tough biz to be in with, uh, you know, with the, the the way the smartphones are accelerating and uh, and all the other competitors on that market. It's a it's a tough uh, sector to be competing in now. I know. In the I think it absolutely is, and I think we saw that with their. You know, they had big plans with their drones and all that stuff. Yeah. And they had the financial issues, but I think you know the seven was pretty cool. This the eight looks pretty cool. They've got the, you know, modules um, that will be able to attach, which kind of seems to me to expand the, um, you know, the the functionality, the camera a good bit. A new sort of. Uh, 360 camera. I don't know if their old 360 camera really took off. I never even never saw one in anybody's hand. But you know, they're looks like they're trying. Yeah. I mean, that's good. That's good. The go. It's still great. I still love my little GoPro. I've got a gosh, a four and a three and a or four and a six or something, and they're still great. But there's lots of different competitors. That's for sure. Can we bring on Avery to talk about this? Because Avery's played with one a little bit, and I want to hear what yeah. he has to say about it. Oh yeah. Yeah, hey guys. Um, so I guess as the as the resident young guy who I, I can remember <laughs> being a, a youngster with my dad coming back with the the first uh, iteration of the GoPro and having used one, uh, f you know, extensively throughout my youth, I definitely think that 
media, GoPro is like Kleenex. So it's, it's the uh, industry standard, I would say, for an action cam. Um, but with the Osmo action coming out, gosh, it must have been, what, April or, or May of uh, this year, I think they really, uh, I mean, GoPro is scrambling, trying to figure out what they could do. Um, I think that the Osmo action offered so many more um, you know, capabilities that no one else was really able to offer before. I mean, I know Sony had made, had made a jump into the market and really didn't make a splash at all. Um, and so it's interesting to see the response to that from GoPro. And I honestly have to say, somewhat disappointing. I know that um, one of the biggest issues with the Osmo Action was the, um, or one of the, the best things about the Osmo Action was its uh, ability to shoot in low light at a much better resolution than GoPro. And I know that this one, they really even haven't touched on that as, as far as I can see through the press releases and obviously waiting to get my hands on one officially. It doesn't seem like they've, that GoPro's really made a, a jump into the market. Um, do we, do we know if they've increased the dynamic range at all? You know, I haven't, e- I haven't even seen this. I, there was rumors yeah. that, you know, they would, um, they would have better resolution in general, but that, that, you know, has not come to fruition. Have they come up with a solution for the audio? Yes. So oh. the the one of the best things I, I think with the the eight is the um, the mods that you can put on it. So you have uh, the ability to attach a shotgun mic. So for oh. a vlogger or someone else who might be using a GoPro as a main camera, seems like a really good addition and something that you know uh, the Osmos don't have. Nice. Um, but you know they also same thing. Like you know GoPro totally missed with without putting a front facing camera or sorry front facing uh, monitor on the eight, which was, which is one of the best things about the Osmo action. Um, especially, you know, if you're trying to mess around and and figure out your shot, you can't tell what's going on and you're not, you know, fiddling around with your GoPro and making sure you have the best thing, you know, the idea is press play and go. And it defeats the purpose to have an external monitor. It's just totally, you have this tiny little thing that's great and there's just no way to do it. It's interesting. How successful has the Osmo action been? Um, I'd be very successful. It definitely, jumped into the market as a camera that everyone was surprised by. And um, at least from a, you know, as someone who works at film tools, we've, you know, they run, they jump off the shelves. People are consistently grabbing them. They're a little bit less expensive than uh, the GoPros, you know, before GoPro dropped their price in the sevens. Um, and it's a good camera, you know, it has great stabilization, better than the seven. Uh, that front facing camera is fantastic. You can um, screw on different lenses. Uh, and different uh, filters, polarizers, or NDs, or whatever it might be. So it was it was a really smart jump that um, DJI made, and I don't know that GoPro has has really uh, answered in the way that people expected them to. But you know, it's it's the sort of thing where it's it's an action camera. It's very inexpensive um, relatively compared to almost everything else, and people need that kind of stuff and love that kind of you know sharing. Uh, you know, action content, whatever that might be. They might be waiting D- for this. Does the, does the Osmo action have a Chinese government spy chip in it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, probably. That's the thing is, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm always rude for GoPro just because they're, yeah, it's such a great story of American yeah. company. The, you know, the founders, like, you know, those, seen those pictures of like his, his, uh, trying to strap a camera to his wrist, like a full-size camera and stuff that, where he came up with the idea. That's, it's a great, I, I just thought they had, yeah, such a great. I gotta, I gotta say too. I'm always, I'm always quite surprised by how well the footage actually scrubs up when, uh, you know, it, it, those drone shots and things like that. They actually cut in quite well once they've been yeah. color corrected and and some lens distortion sort of 
uh, tweaked and stuff. But yeah, it actually holds its own, and, and especially some of those drone shots are so beautiful. And you know, just a few years ago, there was no hope without a mega crane of getting anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or a helicopter. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think these action cams, they may, maybe they fall into three different categories. You've got the category of the the, the vlogger who uh, who who needs that type of camera beyond their smartphone and uses it for to record themselves and record their their adventures. You've got families who I'm going to grab this cheap camera and take on vacation. We're going to have fun with it. And you've got professional film and TV production that buys four or five or six at a time to outfit cars. And oh, yeah. you've got these three distinct distinct categories. And I think GoPro seems to be, the as far as the professional film and video world, that's majority of action cam footage. I don't, I'm, I've seen very little of the, of the, of the, of the um, Osmo action come into my edit suite, but still GoPro all, all the time. Absolutely. I mean, they, they are the Kleenex, you know, that's, it's their brand. And I think they, have saturated the market to a certain extent, and um, it's been a struggle with them for many, many years at this point. Um, and I think that where they might falter is not really uh, bringing any new concepts to the table. And you know, these Chinese manufacturers that are able to jump in with uh, you know inexpensive hardware that is super poppy and people see it all over the place, and they're putting a lot of money behind it. Yeah. I, I wonder how how much longer GoPro can go. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 that gets back that whole thing where it's hard to compete with uh, with the Chinese. Sometimes, you know, they can produce it faster, cheaper, and um, when you're buying with your own pocketbook, it's, it stuff looks pretty good. Yeah, and and you know, one of the things that I I always hear people say, oh yeah, but they don't have the creativity, and I think that's a little unfair. And and in fact, I've seen some innovation on some of the Chinese products where I go, wow, that is an amazing feature, and I've never seen that anywhere before. And often they're buried. <coughs> you know, some some uh, Chinese engineer or, or product designer had this idea, and it really didn't get a lot of fanfare. But, you know, I I think it's hard to, uh, it, you know, it's, it, I, I bought a 3D printer f- five years ago for like 300 bucks, and it was a horrible piece of crap. I bought another one three, uh, for 300 bucks a couple of years ago, and it was amazing. You know, straight from China, mm-hmm. open up in two pieces. I mean, they're really, it is amazing what's coming out of there. It's, it really is a, a tough uh, manufacturing machine to compete with, even on well, the I don't design wanna, level. I, mean, I don't want to throw out any kind of stereotype, though, but wh- how, do you ever wonder or worry about buying some Chinese stuff like that, that it's, okay, how much of this IP has been stolen from... Yeah, it's a good question. Other parts of the world. You, you do, you know, that's one of the tough things we, we all face, right? And, uh, you know, it's like everyone's happy to buy uh, ethical coffee, but then they're, <laughs> they're going to buy the, the yeah. knockoff camera or whatever. It's, uh, because it's all relative to your pocketbook, right? It's, it's yeah. one thing when it's a cup of coffee price. It's another thing when you've got to spend 1600 bucks on the American thing or 400 bucks on maybe an equivalent product that that is probably a knockoff it's a that's a tough question to answer we uh we like our cheap cheap we like our cheap stuff cheap tvs cheap cameras cheap cheap phones even though i don't know if the new iphone's a cheap phone well fortunately we've got black magic making cheap but aussie so i'm good with that oh that's a good point good good point any other big news from the from the last week i can't uh you got your new uh black magic toy right Oh. Uh, 
I do. I have a uh, Resolve Editor keyboard that I am uh, testing out that I've uh, been using on a job, a real, a real job, and I hope to have a review up in s soon. So I know you don't want to spoil the review, but uh, is it does it is it that big of a deal compared with a standard QWERTY keyboard? Is it worth a gazillion dollars? Like in are you, what what's your gut sense at this point? Well, it's not a gazillion; it's only a thousand. Okay. Um, it is. Uh, I am still formulating opinion, but it has some good stuff and some. I don't want to say bad stuff. There's not really any bad stuff about it. It's really pleasant to type on. I love the. Uh, the way they've built the keys and, the, and they've weighted the keys really nicely. And I remember that playing with the, even the prototypes at NAB. And I was like, this is, it looks like it would be um, work on your fingers to type on it. Just when you look at it compared to like an Apple keyboard, the little chiclet keyboards, which are just phenomenal to type on. But it's really pleasant to type on. I think it's it's like anything like that. There's a learning curve behind it where you've got to figure out, all right, how does, how do these, how does the jog wheel interact with the buttons and how does that interact with the interface? And um, I say what I said at NAB when they announced it, I was just blown away that you'd have a company that would spend the R&D money and the manufacturing money on a product that's just for editing. Because it's really not going to help with color. It's not going to help with fusion. It's just it's for editing. It's an editor keyboard. So I'm like, yeah. wow, thanks, Blackmagic, for thinking about editors and trying to provide us something unique just for edit editing. Um, is it better than a regular keyboard? Eh, I don't know. I think the hardest thing is the fact you can't test drive it. That's what you need to do, be able to test drive it for a while to determine whether it's worth, worth the and money. And I guess, and unfortunately, it's one of those things where it's all about building muscle memory. You won't have that for, you know, a month or so. Um, yeah, true. And, you know, if you've done a lot of, uh, do a lot of extensive keyboard mapping like I do, then when you have colored keycaps that are labeled as specific things, they, a lot of them don't, don't mean anything. I think as I'm as I'm editing more in Resolve, I haven't done a lot of, I've, I've kind of mapped my F keys, but I haven't really messed with the whole meat of the keyboard just yet. So a lot of the buttons still make sense, but there are buttons I look at, especially now that I see the Resolve keyboard, I'm thinking, okay, that should not be a dedicated button. I must move that because I, I want that button to be something I'll use a whole lot more often. Um, so there's there's that, but you know, I think. If you are all in on Resolve and that's the only thing that you that you cut on and you're doing you know you're doing stuff that's not you know massive stacks of tons of motion graphics and you're doing you know some more simplified storytelling type stuff I, I, I think it's actually I don't I don't know if it's gonna make you work faster but it's it's kind of fun you know the I didn't think I'd like the wheel the jog shuttle wheel because I've had you know, shuttle pros and stuff like that, and I really never use them. But yeah, they end kind up in the your way, drawer. They do. I, when I have used them, they've been to zoom the timeline in and out. I actually kind of like spinning a dial to zoom the timeline. But I think you take the jog shuttle wheel combined with the trimming keys that are built in to mm. the left side. They it's it's unique in what they what they've done, and and it's not. Uh, uh, we're running out of time. Well, let's wrap it up then. Um, but we should get together and do this again sometime soon. Yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to try to make this a regular, a regular thing, depending on schedules and whatnot. But uh, we touched on kind of what was going on last week in our uh, little, little uh, niche, niche market that we that we all live in. And um, thank you guys for the chat. And we will pick this up again next time on the PVC News podcast and see what's been going on for the for the for the next week or two. Excellent. Thank y'all guys. Thank you. All right. <laughs>